Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. What I loved about those last two songs there is... uh, it was, the, it was the gospel arc. It was the, the, the story that we see played out in Scripture, how in the beginning God created us to be so intimately in relationship with him, and then we went and we mucked it up, and we got separated from God, and that, that second-to-last song, The Power to Break Chains, is the power that God gave us in Jesus' death. And then after that, he restored it. He's now closer than our skin, and that just... It hit me while I was uh, listening to that. Um, so my name's Brandon. Uh, if, you, if I haven't gotten the chance to meet you yet, um, my wife and I, we've been coming to Glory Church uh, since the very beginning, and uh, now we're leading a small group, and um, I helped down in the nursery a couple Sundays, and uh, I'm just really excited to be here sharing the word with you all this morning. We're in Ephesians 2, so this is the third message in our Ephesians series, and just a very, very quick recap here is that in Ephesians 1, the very first Sunday, we heard how we now as believers walk in accordance to the will of God. We are in accord with God, and we heard how this accord is, uh, it's a binding, like you're, you're in sync with, you're in step with that. And then last week, we heard a prayer from Paul uh, given to us uh, by Josiah, who spoke last week, about how now we're adopted into the family of God. And it ends at the end of chapter one with, with Paul pleading in his prayer that the people of Ephesus would know the power that it took to raise us from the dead. And that's my prayer for you all this morning. That's my goal this morning. And my prayer is I can just step out of the way and let the word of God speak. And uh, that you all experience that power. As I was going through it this uh, last week, um, it, it talks about how we're dead in our trespasses. And for someone who grew up in the church, this is a word you hear all the time. You're dead in your trespasses. You're dead in your trespasses. You're dead in your trespasses. But trying to make it real, trying to know what that meant, I was, I was praying for God to remind me what it was like to be dead in your trespasses. Because without knowing what it's like to be dead, you don't know what the power is it took to get you back to life and to get you back into communion with him. Um... I, uh, one of my least favorite movie types in all of history is our Hallmark Christian music, or Christian, uh, Christian movies, or sorry, Christmas, Hallmark Christmas movies, <laughs> Christian, Hallmark Christmas movies, the kind on Lifetime TV, I hate them, and Olivia watches so many of them during the holidays, <laughs> Netflix is just as bad nowadays with those Christmas movies. And I was thinking about why I hate them so much. And I think the key is because they show no power in the arc of the story. Like, it all comes down to this magical Christmas moment where it starts snowing. And all of a sudden, everything's just perfect again. 
And some people like that type of story, but for me, it just feels empty. It's like, what, what's the point? Where's the sacrifice? Where's the blood that was spilled? Like, how, how did you have to change to get to this moment kind of thing? Like, where's the power? And instead, you hear about how some city girl made it to some country town on some news story to cover a magical reindeer that could supposedly fly, and then she runs into some country boy that then they get stuck in a snowstorm together, and then they fall in love, and it's like, this isn't... This isn't something that's worth spending time on. Um, and so, so this morning, my goal is to show you Ephesians 2 in a way that's maybe more in line with something like um, uh, Harry Potter, okay? So Harry Potter, <laughs> you have someone who, uh, I'm thinking of a specific scene here where Harry's facing a Dementor, and they're coming at him, and he doesn't know how to get out of it. He hasn't been taught yet, you know, the spell to get away the Dementor kind of thing. Um, and I'm sorry if you're on the camp here that Harry Potter's bad, so I'm using a reference here at church, so just forgive me if that's uh, where your conviction is. Um, but what happens is there's this quote-unquote magical moment where uh, Harry's parents, who have passed, come back and fight off the Dementors for him, and, uh, and it's not just some Christmas miracle that happens. Like, it's not like J.K. Rowling just was like, shoot, I've gotten Harry backed up against a wall here. How am I going to get him out of here? Oh, I'll just write that his parents magically come back. That's not what happens. What you later find out is that his parents died trying to save Harry. And so they gave up their life for Harry. And then in that moment when Harry's life was in danger, there was that, that connection that allowed them to come back and push off the Dementors. Um, all right, so that's fantasy world, fairy tale. So how about Apollo 13? Um, I love the movie Apollo 13. And in one scene that's, uh, and sorry if I'm about ready to do a spoiler alert, um, if you paid attention to history class, you know the ending already anyway. But in Apollo 13, the movie, there's this moment where after they've uh, lost all their oxygen, their heat shield is damaged. The odds, the expectation is that they're going to start their 200,000 mile descent from space back into Earth and they're not going to make it out. Like that's the expectation, that there are three alive men, all fathers, husbands, who are going to drop from the sky, land into the ocean, and they're, they're just, they can't live. There's no way. And so in Apollo 13, you hear how there's this moment of communication blackout where you can't hear anything because the heat shield and all the, it looks like a meteor is flying through the atmosphere. And so all communications get cut off. And that's supposed to last exactly three minutes. And when NASA says something exactly lasts three minutes, NASA means like not three minutes or four minutes and one second or three minutes and 59 seconds, but like NASA's on it. Like they're like, it's gonna last three minutes. So, the ascent happens. Everybody's glued around the world to their TV screens. The communications get lost. You hear the news reporter say, now we wait three minutes. The countdown begins. In the movie, it's like showing scenes of, the, of uh, one of the astronaut's sons in school, and he's holding his breath, waiting to see if his dad's gonna come out at the end of this three minutes. And you wait, and you wait. You see a scene of the, the little capsule that they're in just completely engulfed in flames, looking like a flaming meteor. Three minutes pass, silence. Four minutes pass, silence. Five minutes pass, silence. We're now almost 
double what NASA said it should have been silence-wise. And Apollo 13 in the movie, they did a perfect job because you see on the son's face of this astronaut, you see him start to process, I just lost my dad. Like, this is it. This is the end. He's in school and you just see his face drop. Like, he's, he's realizing there's no more hope. Like, we're, we're two minutes past what NASA said we should have been at. And then at the six-minute mark, twice as long what it was supposed to take, you hear... I forget the, the quote, I should have memorized it, but <laughs> you hear, Houston, this is, this is mercy or honesty, or Houston, this is honesty, we're coming in for a landing. Like, it was just this moment, I'm sorry, I just ruined all the suspense for you all, but it was this moment where, oh my gosh, they're alive. Like, we knew the odds were against them, we knew they probably weren't going to live, we knew it wasn't going to happen, but we had this little slint of hope that maybe at the end of this three minutes, they're going to come down, and it's all going to be okay, and then the three minutes pass and it's silence and the world doesn't know how to process it. The world's like, it, our worst fears are true. This is, this is it. They're gone. And then they come back. All right. So if Apollo 13 can do it that way, let's see how Paul can do that type of storyline here in Ephesians 2. So I'm going to get started here. And to begin with, I'm just going to go ahead and read the 10 verses that we're going to go into before we dive into each one. So Ephesians 2, first start with 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the ruler and authority of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In the last three verses here, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. All right, so there's a lot of verses here, and I'm going to try keeping the sermon as short as possible. <laughs> and I could have just like come in and said, you know, it's a gospel message. You were dead, you were gone, and then Jesus came, and he died for you, and he raised you up from the dead, and now you get to live forever. But that's the message we hear all the time, some of us. Like that's, uh, as a believer, that is the message I hear all the time. And it doesn't hit anymore sometimes. Like it almost, it feels like the script I'm always told. And Paul knows this to the church in Ephesus. This letter is written to believers in Ephesus, believers who know this story over and over, and Paul takes 10 verses to nail home what does it mean to be dead? What does it mean to be dead? And what kind of power is going to have to take you away from that deadness? So there's three parts here. One, we were, in, we were dead, in sync with the world, the devil, and our flesh, but God, who is rich in mercy with great love, by grace, with kindness, had made us alive to do good works. That's where we're headed today. All right, so I'm going to start off here in Ephesians 2, and we're going to zoom into specific pieces of this. So the first part is that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. 
Now that's the first funny thing about this verse is it says you're dead, but then it says you're trespassing, you're sinning, and you're walking. And I don't know if you've ever seen dead people trespass or sin or walk, but it's not, it's not something that typically happens. Dead people can't trespass, dead people can't sin, dead people can't walk, they can't, later on you see, follow the course of the world, follow the ruler and authority. Dead people can't chase desires, dead people can't have passions, like dead people can't do these things, and yet Paul is saying you were once dead and you were doing all these things. And so there's a different kind of dead here. It's not the dead dead that you might come to think, but it's you're alive, but really you're dead. You're alive, you're walking around, you're living in this world, you're doing your normal day-to-day life, but really you're dead. And the illustration that came to mind when I was thinking about this is uh, your phone, all right? So your phone has a charge, and it might be at 80%, 90%, whatever it might be, but if it's not plugged into the wall, give it enough time, and it's dead, right? Like, eventually, it's going to die. For iPhones, it'll die faster than Androids. Um, but eventually, it's going to die. It's in the same way. When you're dead dead, your battery's dead. Like, that's when that moment where, like, you've taken it, gone, 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 like, the screen's shut down, you've ignored all the messages that says your phone's about to die, like, it's gone, and you don't have a charger. Like, there is nothing you can do to get that phone back alive. That's dead dead. And so we're in that moment where there's a little bit of charge left, but unless you find a charger, it's going to be dead. The other thing that we see in here are trespasses and sins. And he says trespasses and sins intentionally. It's not just in the trespasses or in the sins, but it's trespasses and sins. It's two very different things. So here, trespasses is going against anything that's a biblical command. Sin, not sins, but sin, is the deeper power that makes us want to do that. And sins is the acts that express that power. So you were dead, and you had these trespasses and these sins, and you were walking in them. Now, the reason why this is important, and again, the the funny illustration that I get here is that there's this antenna coming out of our heads, all right? So I want you to picture this little radio antenna coming out of our heads. For some of you, I think it's easier to imagine that than others. But this radio antenna is coming out of our heads, and it's tuned specifically to the world. It's tuned specifically to the rulers and authorities. It's on a frequency that it can't pick up anything else. And that frequency is tuned by our trespasses and by our sins. So because you have trespasses, because you have sins, you cannot hear any other frequency. You cannot get any other noise other than what's coming through that antenna. And so I tried to paint a picture here with this next one. So following the course of this world, all right? So you're dead in your sins and your trespasses. You're walking in that, and you're following the course of this world. When you are in tune with, in sync with, via your trespasses and your sins, you are in step with, you're waltzing with the world. Like there's no, there's nothing that's going to break you of that rhythm. Like you are following the course of this world because you are so in tune with, so in sync with, because of the trespasses and sins with this world, you are following that line. And it's a straight line. You've got the world on one side, you've got the end on the other, and we're going to get to the end here in just a second. But 
that world is going to follow that course and there's no diverging. Like there's no way it could go any other direction. There's no way that it could pick up any other signal. Like it is on a path of destruction and it's moving and there's nothing that's going to stop it. And so when you were dead in your sins and your trespasses, you were in sync with this train that was headed off the cliff. There was no, there was no changing it. You were, you were in sync with it. You were in step with it. More than that, oh, I skipped one. Uh, there's a slide missing. That's okay. More than that, you are following the ruler and, a, oh, no, it's not. Never mind. Sorry. I'm getting my slides confused. Um, I want to go to Galatians 1, 3 through 4 real quick. So in Galatians 1, 3 through 4, it says something more about this world that we're following, this world that it, we're on the course of this world. It says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. And so there's a layer to this, uh, to this world that we're following. And it's saying that this world isn't just a happy-go-lucky world with uh, Christmas, Hallmark, happy endings and flying reindeers, but this is a present evil age. This is an evil age that we're in right now. And you know that I saw this this morning. I dropped off Olivia uh, for worship practice and I was heading back to the house and I'm thinking like, what does it look like to live in a present evil age? You can just drive down Troost or Rock Hill or any other street in America and you see the present evil age that we live in. There are signs right now that say we must stop shooting each other along, uh, along Troost right now. I don't know if you've seen that campaign happening. We have the highest murder rate in Kansas City's history right now. And there's signs that say that you must stop shooting each other. And so the fact that we have to even put those signs up to, in, to begin with shows that we are in the present evil age. The present evil age. And that's the world that we're following. There's a course of that world and we're following it. We're in sync with it and we can't get out of sync with it. In John 15, 19, it says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So as believers, we hear about how you're plucked out of the world. You're still here, but now you're to a different rhythm. There's a different cadence going on in the believer's life. There's a different waltz happening, and it actually puts you at, uh, at, out of sync with the, with the present evil age. Um, I don't have rhythm to save my life. And so when I start clapping, I'm that guy in the room that's clapping on the offbeat and everybody who has music rhythm is looking out of the side of their eyes like, why is this guy clapping in the offbeat? I can't hear it either way kind of thing. That's what the world hears when they see a believer walk in the room. There is a cadence, a waltz that's happening and it's in sync everywhere around you and it's a course that this world is following. But as believers, when you, when you are plucked out of that, you're now following a different rhythm. You're, you're in sync with something else and the world sees it and the world is uncomfortable by it and the world hates it. The world wants you to stop clapping. <laughs> Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If sins and trespasses put us in frequency with the course of this world, then it's the Spirit of God who says, don't be conformed by this world, and now you have a different frequency, one that doesn't follow the course of this world, but one that you may discern what is the will of God. Now you're in frequency with the will of God, and with the frequency of the will of God, you now may be able to tell what is good and acceptable and perfect. And without that frequency, you don't know what is good. You don't know what is acceptable. You don't know what is 
perfect, you don't know the will of God. And so when you are taken out of this world, you are given a new frequency, one that allows you to know the will of God. All right, so if I can sum it all up here of what Paul is teaching us just in these first, first verse. The world we live in right now is the present evil age. And in Ephesians 2.2, in the present evil age, it's our sins that put us in sync with that evil. Our sins and our trespasses make us fall in love with the evil. We're waltzing with it. We can't help it when we're dead and in frequency with it. As believers, though, we actually become out of step with, not in sync with, not in accord with this world. The very following piece, after following the course of this world, we get into following the ruler and authority of the air. The ruler and authority of the air. And we actually just saw the authority in Ephesians 1.20. So last week, uh, Josiah ended on this verse where he painted a beautiful picture of Christ being seated at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, this present evil age, but also in the one to come. There's an age to come. And he put all things under his feet. So with my horrible emoji art, I'm trying to paint this picture here of you have a course of the world and it's on this present evil age track, and you are in frequency with, in lockstep with that world. It's heading towards destruction. And then we learn about where Christ is. Christ is intentionally placed above that. He is above that. Every rule and authority, he is above. And he's also above not just this evil age, so there's some overlap that's happening. He's not just above the evil age, but he's also up above the age to come. So that's showing you that there are two tracks here, okay? There are two courses. There's the course of the world with the rulers and the authorities, and then there's the course of where Christ is, the age to come. The one that um, overlaps because it started on the cross and with the resurrection, so it happened during this present evil age, but it will continue way beyond the destruction of this present evil age. It's going to go forever and ever. Now, the other interesting thing about the ruler and authority that Paul throws in here is that it's of the air. Ruler and authority of the air. And as I'm painting this picture, like painting's relative, as I'm putting clip art on this picture, I see the gap there. Like there's a gap between the present evil age, we're somewhere in here, and then there's the age to come. And there's that gap of air that exists between the two where there's rulers and authorities. And the air, the word air can be translated to heavenlies. So it's air or heavenlies. And there's a war raging in that air, that heavenlies air uh, box where we are today. In Ephesians 6.12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against guns and bullets here in Kansas City, but against the rulers 
against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies. So there is a ruler and authority of the air in this present evil age. It's not Jesus. Jesus is above that. It is Satan. It's the devil. And that is who we're battling with today. That's when you walk out the street and you see signs that says, we must stop shooting each other. That is the spiritual battle that's happening all around us, all around us as if it's the very air that we're breathing. You can't escape it. You can't escape it. It's the air. It's the heavenlies around you is the present evil age. And you are in sync with it. You're in lockstep with it. Your sins and your trespasses chain you to it. Um, An illustration, again, that Josiah gave last week was the umbilical cord. We have this umbilical cord to God. We're in accord with God, and we get all of our life and our substance through him. But when you are dead and you're walking in the sins and the trespasses, your umbilical cord is is to the world, to the rulers and the authority that's here. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says, And you were dead in your trespasses. We are hearing this in Ephesians. The uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed, here we go, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to shame by triumphing over them. So here we have the frequency of trespasses, the lockstep that you are in because of your trespasses, and we hear how God legally took those trespasses, he put them to shame, he put them to death, and now all of the rulers and authorities of the air that exist here, they're all put to shame. They don't have a single ounce of evidence against you anymore. And it mentions one other thing in Colossians, which is your flesh. And I'm going to use that as a segue to get back into Ephesians 2.3 here. So, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. And it's just like it parallels to Ephesians 2.3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Children of wrath sent me for a bit of a tailspin this last week. I spent a whole day thinking like, what is God's wrath? That's not something in the evangelical church that we really hear. We like to talk about as often as the wrath of God. Um, And so I'm thinking like wrath of God, thunder, lightning, he's going to strike me down. There's an inferno around me. Like what's the wrath of God? I was pointed to Romans 1, 18 through 28, where it says, For the wrath of of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Verse 24, this is the wrath of God. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Man, that one struck me. Uh, and I, I, I got emotional when I was telling Olivia about it, so let's see if I can keep the emotions together today. Um, but I think about the passions of my flesh, the desires of my heart, 
and wrongly because I'm in sync with the world, oh, geez, wrongly because I'm in sync with the world, I think it's fine. Like, what's, what's, I watch TikTok a lot, right? So what's hanging just a little longer on the TikTok video that I'm watching when I know I should very quickly scroll past that one? What's one more look? What's being a little bit more selfish at work? What's putting down my coworker to make me look better so I get the promotion, so I get more money? Like, what is that anyway? That's, it's fine. Like, that's not, that's not a big deal. But really, the terrifying truth is, if I was left alone to those passions, if I was left alone to those desires, I would be nothing. I would be alone. Like, my greatest fear in life, I think, is that I would lose my wife and my child. And um, obviously, something external could take them from me. But even scarier than that is that I could push them away. Like, that I could do something that hurts them, that causes them to no longer be in my life. And that pains me, and yet it's inside of all of us when we're in frequency with the world. And that is the wrath of God. Your broken marriage is the wrath of God. Your uh, time in jail is the, is the wrath of God. Your, uh, your bad bank account, because you can't get your finances under control, is the wrath of God. Like, the wrath of God is here but believer, it's not here fully yet. Like, it's coming a lot harder than that, I promise you. Because eventually, God doesn't give up, but eventually he's going to give you up. He's going to say, okay, you want that? Fine. My patience, I'm, I'm withdrawing my patience. I'm done. Like, I've tried. It's been here. I've been here. I've been waiting for you. And now you can have it, if that's really what you want. And that's a scary thought to hear that God just can give me up, that eventually he just lets me have the desires and passions of my flesh. And so we were dead. We were in sync with the world and Satan. We were by nature fleshy, <laughs> children of wrath. And that's the path we're on. That's the course of the world, the present evil age. We will start on that line and we will end on that line with God gives you up to yourself. You want to know the end of the story for all non-believers? It's like God's going to give you exactly what you want. He's just he's going to give you up. He's going to say, okay, you want the passions of your flesh. You want the desires of your heart. You want to lust. He gives you, he gives you up. And there's other moments that we experience in this. I mentioned, you know, walking out on the street. I was passing people who were uh, at bus stops. They were asleep, presumably from last night's heroin dose, like just passed out in a really weird position. There's no way it was comfortable. There were, uh, we're thinking about our neighborhood, how we can minister to our neighborhood. And we see behaviors among our generation, like people our age, that we're thinking like, man, what does that look like 20 years from now? We're all married on our street. We all hang out, we have fun. But it's like, what, what do these patterns look like 20 years from now? What does it look like when our kids are grown up and gone? And I think for a lot of us, those who aren't believers, it ends with the wrath of God. It ends with dead, dead. It's, it's done. There's no more. And that's the death that Paul is trying to get across. Death. 
I think about uh, Olivia's mom recently. She had a stroke, um, an aneurysm. Odds were against her. She wasn't supposed to survive. Like, it was an aneurysm. I think half the time you don't survive. The other half the time when you're in the hospital, you don't walk out of the hospital alive. So you're one in four of even surviving. And then beyond that, you don't even know if you can walk again after that. You don't know if you can talk again. Like the worst cases are you survived, but all you can do is blink. You got to be fed through a tube. You got to, you can't lift your arms. You can't do any of that. That's the course of the world. And then this but God happens. This but God that says, no, We'll beat the odds. This but God that says, yeah, you destroyed your marriage, but we're bringing it back. We can, we can offer forgiveness. We can offer redemption. There's the but God that says, yeah, you've been convicted 17 times as a felon, but God can bring you out of that. There's the, the but God that you're passed out on the street one day from a heroin overdose, but God, he can restore your, your marriage. He can restore your family. He can give you a home again. There's that but God that happens, and it's to no effort, no thanks to you, like none, because you're on frequency with the world. You are in tune with your sins and your trespasses. There's nothing that can change it until God disrupts it, but God happens, but God happens. Ephesians 2, 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were passed out on the side of the street from last night's heroin dose, but God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now I hope you see why I took the time to do the emoji art because you're down there, but God lifts you up to where he is above the rulers and the authority, above following the world, above the passions of our flesh and the lust. And he, you are with God. God, sitting at the right hand of God for the age to come. No longer this present evil age. No longer. You don't have to worry about campaigns of we must stop shooting ourselves or shooting each other. You now are part of the age, the age to come. And here's the power here that I want us to all, if, if you've missed the power so far, here's another lens. It's the exact same passage. I've just highlighted different words here. But God being rich in mercy, not conservative in mercy, not budgetary or like watching how he's spending that mercy, but rich in mercy because of the great love, not the side hug love, like, hey, brother, what's up? But the great love, like closer than the skin that's on your body kind of love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, I'm going to skip ahead because that grace word comes up in that last line, ages he might show his immeasurable riches of grace. You thought he was rich in mercy? Try counting his grace. It's immeasurable. His immeasurable amount of grace. That he might show us his immeasurable amount of kindness towards us. Like, can that just like penetrate your heart this morning? Like, 
sure, there's the wrath of God. Like that is a real thing. He is a righteous God. He is a fair God and he is a just God. And that happens for the folks that are in tune with this world. It has to. He is just. It's in his nature that he must be wrathful towards your passions, your lusts, your desires. But God... That same wrathful God can be and is rich in mercy, great love, immeasurable grace, immeasurable kindness towards us. Then we're going to end it up here. For, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Um, at work, I get to build software. I don't actually get to build smart software. I'm not smart enough. But I get to work with the people who build software. And the funny thing about software is that it does exactly as you tell it to do. Like if you program it to do something, it's going to do that. And even when it doesn't do what you thought it was going to do, it's not because you, it's like going haywire on you. It's because you didn't build it right. Like it's, it's, your, it's back on you that's not working right. And that software, when it does cool things, it gets highlighted in the press and it's really fun to talk about. And it's like, wow, look at this new tech that we've got kind of thing. But it's not the tech that gets glorified, right? Like it's not like this code is so magical. I love this code. But it's actually the developers behind it. It's the, it's the company who invented it. It's, Uber's app isn't the thing. It's the fact that Uber, the company, made this amazing experience that totally disrupted the world where you can just call a car. The reason why I'm saying this is because we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. So if at, if at one point you thought, well, I worked my way up to the top and now I'm with Christ, you're wrong there because you were in frequency with the world. There was nothing you could do to change it. God plucked you out. So it was by no effort of yourself, but he plucked you out and put you in tune with him. And so that's been taken away from you. You can't boast in that. But now you can't boast in the age to come either because he has created you. He's pre-planned, he's prepared works for you. So even the good works that you do now are his. Like he has programmed them for you. He has prepared them for you so that no one can boast. And I wrap this back to the beginning here with that very first verse back in Ephesians 2 where it says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked. Because you see here that it ends with walking in the good works that we should walk in the good works. And so Paul says, where you were walking in the course of this world, where you were walking towards the wrath of God, now you're walking in the good works. And those never end. They are prepared beforehand for you, and they never end. So the question here for all of you is there's really only two categories of people in here. Um, All of our differences aside, like man, woman, child, whatever, You're either dead but alive, so you're either on battery and not plugged into the wall, so you're really dead but you're able to walk right now, and you're on a path to be dead dead, or you're alive and alive. You've got full charge, you're plugged in. I know it's a stupid, stupid comparison. you're, You're plugged in, you're alive and alive. Which one are you this morning? And could this today be your but God moment? As I wrap up, I'm going to intro us into communion with each other. And so I'll have the band come on back up.
And there's something beautiful about communion specifically because uh, that is our acting out of but God. That is the but God we get to act out. And it's not just run through the motions. Um, I'm sorry, I'm about to share this, Olivia. (laughs) We do something really stupid where we reenact our first kiss together. Like we've been married five years. We've been together eight years. Like, but like we do this even as soon as like last week, we like pretend that it's our first kiss all over again. And we try to act it out all over again. I'm sorry, Olivia. Yes, you do. Um, And we're not following a script. Like we're not just like, you know, being weird about it, I promise. Like, there's something intentional there. Like, there are sparks that fly when we reenact that first kiss together, even though we've had a million kisses since. But there's something about going back to the beginning. Like, going back to before we knew all these things about each other, going back to before we had a baby together, going back before we bought our first home together, going back before we got married to each other, going back before we dated each other, Back to when we were just friends, that's kind of what made the first kiss so special, is that we had been friends years before, and we went back to that moment, and communion brings us back to that. We were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in our sins. We were following the course of this world. We were following the rules and authorities of this world, and God plucks us out of it, and he brings you back to communion, to the garden. So close that he could be the skin on your body is how close he is. And so as you all go up to the communion today, you break bread, the blood that was spilled. I just pray that this is not some other script that you're following, but like it brings you back. It's the first kiss all over again. It takes you back to the beginning, the but God moment. And you allow that to penetrate your heart this morning. But God has brought you out of death. He's brought you out of the sins and the trespasses. And now you get to live in life with him in the age to come. But God. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.